What's up, friends? Welcome back to Well That's Good Wednesday. Hope everybody is having a great week. Happy Wednesday, y'all. Today, I got my sweet hubby back on the show. She loves having me here. I do love having you here. You can't get enough of me on the podcast. Why would I keep asking you back if I couldn't? I don't know. To fill in a to fill in a spot. Um, <laughs> you know, someone canceled. Christian always thinks I just ask him to fill in a spot, but hey, y'all love when he's on. And we always do answer DMs when Christian's on. And we have literally three pages of DMs from y'all, and this isn't even all of them. We're obviously not gonna get to all of that. But we're going to get to as many as possible, and we're just so thankful that y'all trust us to send in these questions, and hopefully we even just pray that God would just give us wisdom to give you the best advice that we can. But we're going to start out with a fun one today. This is from Tracy Davis, and she said, what's on y'all's bucket list? Y'all have a bucket list? And so this is kind of fun because we did make a bucket list last year. Yes, we do have a bucket list. And whose bucket list do you think is cooler? We went together. Yeah, but we all, but we, but but we still have separate, separate ones. They were, they were one. No, shark cage diving is on my bucket list. That's not on your bucket list. I know, but we wrote it all. I want. I will still go. I'll be in the boat. Yes, but but it's not like a desire of you though. No, it's not a desire of mine. Nor is skydiving a desire of yours, and I've already See, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Me and Christian have different fears. I am terrified of thinking about getting in a scuba diving situation and seeing a shark. That is, like, the scariest thing ever to me. And Christian intentionally wants to go where the great whites are and jump in a cage. Like, no. Because that would be the you. coolest thing ever. That would literally make me See? pass out. And so that's on my bucket time. list. You wouldn't even be on the boat. Let's be honest. I would be on the you, boat. That's so not true. I would totally be you on would the not, boat. Those boats are like more sketchy than the cave. Okay, I probably wouldn't be on the boat. You would. You'd be on the dock. I watched the. I pay for the videos. Yeah, so you do no, it. you would not be on the boat. Okay, well, yes, I guess we technically have a little bit different of a bucket list, but this is kind of sweet. So last year. Christian and I were like, you know, we just need a little getaway. And so we did a little staycation. We went to an Airbnb in town and we took honey with us. And as we put her down, we were like, let's do something fun. Like, let's make a bucket list together. And it was really sweet and fun. And we um, remember I doodled all of our uh-huh. little bucket list. And so we still have it. And I don't even think we've checked anything off no, since we, we did it. We but it's just, hey, we, we were only a year in. Okay. And we, we put like wild things. Okay. Um, and so, but it was really fun and I do encourage you to do that just for yourself or as a couple or whatever situation you're in, because it is fun to just dream about doing things in life. Um, I think two of the top ones in our bucket list, one for you was, um, and this was, this was a mutual one we both share is an African safari. Yeah. That would just be amazing. Like seeing a lion would be the coolest thing. It would be nuts. Yeah. And then for me is skiing in another country. Like I want to go snow skiing in like Switzerland or even Canada. I've heard it's like really beautiful skiing. Mm -hmm. It'd be so fun. That'd be super fun. I know. But every time I keep getting pregnant and then we can't go skiing. That's true. Well, we still go. You just sit out. I know. I just drink hot chocolate. Which is not a bad gig, I gotta say. It's It's not the worst thing in the world. Cabin life, hot chocolate. I'm living a good life. Anyways, well, that that is a fun question. Thanks for sending that in because bucket lists are so fun. And we were inspired by the bucket list family to do that. We were. Thank you, bucket list family. Thank you, bucket list family. This podcast is not sponsored by the bucket list family, but we do love them. All right. Emma Johnson sends in this question. How do you find solution in conflict? Going a little bit more serious now. Hmm. That's a good question. 
I will say it is hard to find solution in conflict because, you know, there's a reason why you're in conflict and it's normally because you disagree on something. And so for Christian and I, um, you know, we both can tend to be a little bit too dramatic and a little bit sassy. You know, that's true. And so we get exasperated, everything, you know, it's like this crazy, um, it's not how we normally would talk kind of thing, which we're not proud of. And that is one thing I think we could work on and even helping find a healthier solution is not getting exasperated and not getting dramatic, but actually just talking to one another the way that we do talk with understanding. Um, but I think one thing that I would probably say is the best advice that I could give when it comes to finding solution and conflict. Well, two pieces of advice. One is truly like stopping and like, I'm not saying like pray out loud, but to me, like, when we're in conflict, sometimes I'll like literally ask the Lord, like in my mind, like, God, like help me like understand or like help him see what I'm trying to say or see my heart. And so like inviting the Holy Spirit into it because I feel like the Holy Spirit will convict you whenever you're wrong. And hopefully the Holy Spirit can also soften the other person's heart as you talk. Now that doesn't always happen. Um, it doesn't always happen right then, right there. But then like a week later, you might see how like God was beginning to answer those prayers as hearts begin to soften. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that a lot of times. I actually, we just got to see that where we had um, a conflict a couple weeks ago. And I was like praying that God would kind of just resolve that in us. And then a couple weeks later, Christian ended up writing me a letter that was like every single thing I had prayed, God would show him and God did, but it just wasn't in that moment. It was over time. Mm -hmm. So I think inviting God into conflict is huge. And then the second thing I would say is um, just continue to talk to each other until you get to a place of peace um, because the the, I guess, temptation is to just give up on the conversation, just to quit, just to walk away, just to be like, we're not doing this, whatever. But Christian and I have seen multiple times where a conflict will start and you're five minutes in and you're thinking there's no way out of this. You're 10 minutes in and you're thinking we are not going to see eye to eye on this. But the more you keep diving in and talking and trying to gain understanding, 30 minutes later, you can be like laughing and joking and like back to normal. And so Mm -hmm. it's worth it sometimes to just dive into the conversation, even though it's hard, even though it's frustrating, because um, the end result is peace. You know, the end result is laughter. The end result is connecting more with the one that you love. And so two things I would say is one, invite God into it. And two, don't give up on the conversation just because you're frustrated or mad. Yeah. Well, no, I, I completely agree with that. Because for me, it's like, you know, there's the verse where don't, you know, don't let um, your anger. But I, just, I literally just had it in my head. And don't I forget let it. Yeah, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I'm another believer. Yes. Um, but even for me, it's the idea of like, you know, I feel like sometimes when you try to rush it to like get past it quicker. Because mm-hmm. for me, if we're, if we're in an argument and I just want to get over it and I don't let, time go by before we like talk Mm -hmm. and I kind of want to just move past that moment and just Mm -hmm. rush past it then we end up getting more exasperated so I think sometimes time is actually super helpful I agree if there's a conflict you know give it 30 minutes give it an hour like let yourself have time to 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 think to pray because for me the times where it's been 15 minutes I'm like okay look let's just get over this hey I'm sorry but then it doesn't, it doesn't, but then yeah. it doesn't seem genuine. But I'm just wanting just to move past it, just for the sake of moving past because it. Because you're not really sorry. You just want yeah. to stop arguing, and and the other person, me, aka 
feels that and it's like no like we're not done with this you know and then it's frustrating because he wants to be done with it and, and i'm, I'm just not mad done. again because you're not accepting yes. my apology and i will say like one thing um we just did a wedding shower and all the like older women and younger women all gave like advice to the bride and one of the things that um, a lot of the older women said is it's okay to sleep on it because you know, the bible says you know don't go to bed angry at a believer. And I think there is a difference in going to bed angry at your spouse and going to bed not angry at them, but you have something in your marriage or something that you're talking about that is a little bit unresolved because some things just can't be resolved overnight. Some things are big conversations that you're having, big discussions that you're having that might linger over time, um, maybe a couple of days or whatever. But it's important that in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the unresolved situation, that you're still coming together, that you still are truly loving one another and being kind and respectful. And you're not angry. So I do think there is a difference in having like an unresolved situation and like an anger at your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. All right. Next question. I do not know how to pronounce your name. Hannah Bully. Oh, I was looking at this one. I could pronounce Hannibal. <laughs> I was looking at Islin. That's a cool name. Both are okay. kind of hard to say. Spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestseller, new releases, memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, business, and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash Woe or just text Woe to 500-500. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash Woe or text Woe to 500-500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. Um, Hannah Bully, this kind of goes along with what we're saying. It says we're supposed to keep no record of wrongs in quotes and that verse comes from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, but how do we know when it's time to move on? Um, that's a really good question. So I do think that this verse is so important and this has convicted me a lot in our relationship because it is so easy 
anyone who's married knows to keep a record of wrong. You know, it's so easy to be like, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And blah, blah, blah. I remember one year ago when you did this and it's like, you cannot do that. You cannot bring up all the past because one moment is going wrong. And so I do think it's important because um, to just keep a clean slate over one another, because that's what the Lord does for us. Like what if God was always keeping a record of wrong over us? And I think that's the root of where that verse comes from. It's like love keeps no record of wrong. Well, God is love. God keeps no record of wrong. Like God's forgiveness washes over us. Like when the blood of Jesus comes over us, like we, our sins are forgiven and God loves us mm-hmm. as new and as pure and as lovely. And so for me, it wouldn't be right in my relationship with Christian to always keep record of wrong and always bring up all the past because honestly, it would just make for a really hard, tough relationship with a lot of shame in it. But for me to go, you know what, like that's forgiven and actually, actually forgive him for it. Actually not bring it up the next time something similar happens or not bring it up, you know, a year later, whenever it has nothing to do with the context of what we're going through right now. But actually that is forgiven and taking today um, as a day of new mercies and a day of new forgiveness and a day of like new opportunity is, is so important and just makes for a healthy relationship. Um, so how do you know when to move on? I think you you move on whenever the person confesses and asks for forgiveness and you're willing to forgive. Now, if you're not married and you're in a dating relationship and someone is you know, perpetually doing something that is wrong, I don't think that's whenever you keep no record of wrong. I think that's when you go, red flag, break up with a dude, you know? I think that's whenever you go, you know, this person's showing me a side of his character that is not just a one-time mistake, but it's actually a part of who he is or a sin he struggles with. So that should be like a red flag to you to go, actually, I don't need to be in this relationship. And I think sometimes we take these verses that are actually intended for marriage or intended for like God's love for us and we put them in a dating relationship. And I say we because I used to do that. And it keeps us in dating relationships that we really shouldn't be in. And so use wisdom and discernment to go, you know what? I don't need to move on from this because this is actually something I don't need to be in a relationship with and break up. But if you're married, you have a ring on your finger, you have a covenant relationship. And, you know, say Christian does something that upsets me, but he comes to me and says, Sadie, I'm so sorry. I should have never done that. I know that hurt you. Will you forgive me? And I say, I forgive you. Then it's time to move on. Right? Yeah, that's good. Because I was even just going to say, because it's easy for us naturally to keep record of wrongs, you know, just from the standpoint of like, you did this last week and it bothered me, um, just things like that. Yeah. But the thing I found is is if you perpetually do that, then it's just so easy to just get bitter and just kind of form like resentment towards mm-hmm. a situation or even towards a person if you constantly just, you know, nitpick things that they're doing wrong. So. I would, my advice would just be, it's super difficult. You know, we always want to nitpick stuff and um, kind of like keep score just so we can maybe feel better about ourselves in a, in, in a sense. But um, yeah, talking through those things when you're struggling with it of like, hey, you know, the last week you've been doing this has been, it's been bothering me, but I don't want to, you know, keep thinking about you doing that and it, and it, and it upsetting me. So yeah, honest conversation. Honest conversation, just bringing it up and moving on. So important. Okay, now Islin, such a cool name. Uh, what advice do you have to give on navigating trust, specifically when it comes to long-distance relationships? So all these are kind of similar this today, um, thus far. So Christian and I actually had a long-distance relationship up until we were married, and so we really got to experience what that was like. 
And I would say like best piece of advice for navigating trust is if you're going to be in a relationship with someone and they're going to be long distance, just you have to decide, you know, once you've seen enough of their character, do you trust them or not? Mm -hmm. And if you do, then actually trust them. And if you don't, then get out of the relationship. Because I think um, for me, you know, there was a time where I didn't trust you and it wasn't necessarily because Christian gave me great reason to not trust him. It was really just because of my own security in my heart and my fears of, you know, just being in a relationship because being in a relationship is scary whenever you love someone and they're gone and can make their own decisions. And my tendency was to want to control, you know, mm-hmm. the situation of where he was or what he was doing or whatever, because that was just based out of fear for me. But, you know, when I look back at that, there is a moment where I remember a Christian taught to me about all this. And it was like in that moment, I remember we've talked about it. We talked about being captivated. You talked about just like the reason why I can kind of trust you. Um, My heart was just settled. And I decided pretty much that day, like, I'm going to trust you. Like, I am going to forget the thing that made me um, lack trust in you. I'm not going to bring that up anymore. Like, we're in a new space now. And from that point on, I, I pretty much did. I mean, I changed the insecure ways. I changed the the controlling aspect of my life that I had honestly brought into a lot of relationships and just started to like settle in my heart that I choose to trust Christian, you know, Mm -hmm. and if, and if Christian breaks that trust, then, then we'll deal with that then. But I choose to trust him. And so I would just say like trust, you know, it really is, um, partly on the other person's side to show you that they're trustworthy, but it's a whole lot on your side as well to choose to trust that person and to really press past those insecurities and choose to not act in them because they're not truth. You know, they're insecurities. They're based out of fear. And so um, being honest with yourself about that and being able to lay that down and say, you know what, I choose to trust this person because this is who I'm choosing to be in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And if I can't get to the place of trusting them and I'm making this relationship miserable because of my control and because of my jealousy and because of my lack of trust, then I need to get out of this relationship and make figure out my own heart, you know? Um, and I, I mean, I'm being brutally honest because I experienced that in multiple relationships from my end because I had trust issues. Um, and with Christian, I think if I wouldn't have changed that, we would not have the relationship that we have today. And I'm so thankful for the relationship we have today because I got on board and started to trust. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said is great because I think specifically, you know, you got to get to a point where you do distrust them. And I think something practical that that people can do is form relationships with people's friends. Yeah. You know, like you were friends with a lot of my friends. And I think just having that accountability to where, um, like, you were able to trust my friends and also trusting me at the same time. Because at the end of the day, it's not fun for either one. If like you're, if you're doubting, if you're doubting someone in a long distance relationship, and then the other person's like, I think I can't do anything because you know my girlfriend doesn't trust me. Then it's just you're. It's honestly miserable for both people. It really is. It's a miserable so, way to do relationships. So you have to just trust, and you also have to be trustworthy. Like don't if you're in a long distance relationship, it can be easy to like you know, do sneaky things or whatever because your girlfriend's not there or whatever, something stupid like that. But just be trustworthy. And if you're the person that needs to give trust, then give it and form relationships with their friends and um, make the decision for yourself. And if you don't trust the person, then get out of the relationship. Don't stay in this like 
weird, this weird unhealthy, place not because fun. it's not fun for either person. Yeah. Except for the one giving trust, except for the one that needs it. Should be fun. You know, yes, there are elements of it that are hard um, and you're gonna have to fight for, it, but dating should be fun. Like it really should be. And I remember someone told me that in a relationship <sighs> I was in that was not very fun. And I didn't trust him and he wasn't very trustworthy, all that stuff. And she was like, Sadie, it should not be this hard. Like it should be fun. And I was like, No, like relationships are hard. And like, no, like marriage is hard at times. But like Dating should not be that hard. Dating should be fun. And I get to experience that fun with Christian. And yeah, we had moments of these things, you know, sparking up, but we dealt with them and we talked about it and we didn't live in that. And so just don't live in that space. Like if it's not fun and you can look at your life and you can honestly say, you know, it's not fun because I don't trust this person. It's not fun because my insecurity, my jealousy, my whatever, then like go to the person and apologize and be like, hey, this is not actually the way I want to do relationship. Like I've been jealous. I've been controlling. I actually do trust you. You've given me no reason to not like have a little like, you know, confession moment and turn the page. Start having yeah. some fun in your relationship. Well, say so if you're on Find My Friends and you see them at dinner, you know, and your first thought is like, oh, are they with another person? Like things like that. It's like if that's your yeah. first reaction, then you need to talk talk through those things. Yeah, this is a personal attack. It was this not is personal. A personal attack. No, because that's... one of my most embarrassing moments of my relationship with Christian is that moment. I got on Find My Friends Thank and. You. I thought he was at his house because he didn't tell me he left the house, which normally he would be like, hey, going to dinner. And I look at some of my friends and he's at this like... Um, Not bonefish. No, but it was like... In, it was next like, to the outlet mall. Yes. Yeah, but I was at a I know with my parents. But I didn't know that, okay? And so I was upset because I was like, why didn't you tell me? Because I had been in another relationship before Christian where this person told me he was doing homework at the house and I got on Instagram and literally was tagged in photos of him with girls at a bar, okay? So what Christian didn't know is that I'm coming from a past wound of saying someone telling me they were at home and being at a bar. And so my fear was, oh no, it's going to happen to me again. But Christian was actually just with his parents at Bonefish, okay? Which was, you know, a really good moment in our relationship for me to learn like and to just kind of acknowledge Christian is not who that guy was. This relationship is not what that other relationship was and not, you know, bringing past hurts into this new relationship um and it was embarrassing but it's also good for a christian to know like why i was so sensitive because of what i had come from now that isn't excuse me for doing that i shouldn't have been as you know upset as i was that night but at the same time i think there's a little understanding because i had experienced you know getting tagged in photos of my boyfriend at a bar with girls when he told me he was studying at home. So, you know, there is that too of understanding where the other person's coming from, but also for you not putting on something, someone, your own insecurities and your own past hurts. So that was a good example. Mm-hmm. All right, that moving not, on. That, that was not meant to, to do that. I just felt like I was supposed to say that. <laughs> it was good. All right, moving on. We got Tori Lemons. And I don't know if your Instagram handle is because you like lemons or that's your last name, but it's pretty cool. And she says, feeling chronically single. Advice on taking advantage of this season. Um, so when we read this question, we really wanted to just acknowledge it because being single is not like a chronic like 
illness. You know, being single is actually a really good thing, and it's actually a really beautiful thing. And, you know, when we look at the Bible, the Bible does obviously talk about relationships. God created man and woman to be together. You know, God did create relationships. He created the idea of marriage, and that is a beautiful thing. But the Bible also is such an advocate for singleness. Um, Paul, who is one of the legends of the Bible, who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul was single, and not only was he single, he loved being single, and he encouraged the church, hey, if you don't have the passion, you know, to get married that's like burning within you, then stay single. He's like, I think it's better you stay single, because Paul's saying, then your heart's not divided, your desires aren't divided, you can just fully be for Christ. And so um, I love that that's in the Bible, because it just shows us like singleness is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Culture, you know, at times can make it seem like a bad thing, because all of the shows that everyone's obsessed with is relationships, you know? We love um, The Bachelor and Love is Blind and Married at First Sight and any way that we can be in relationship with one another. And then the Instagram couple that's like the cutest it couple and like all this stuff. And so it makes you feel like, well, what's wrong with me if I'm not in a relationship? But let me just tell you, there is nothing wrong with you if you're not in a relationship. Uh, Paul would actually say, you're in the greatest spot. You know, you're in a great place because you can fully live out the life that God's created you to live um, without any distraction. And so when I look back um, at my singleness, I wish I would have been more settled in that and been like, you know what, this is such a great time in my life where I'm not distracted, where I'm not being pulled one way or another. Like I get to fully focus on who God created me to do, be who God created me to be and what he's called me to do and um, just live out on mission for him. And so what Paul is saying is an encouragement. So restructure your mindset, even when writing a question like that, that's not a bad thing, that it's actually a good thing. And how do you take advantage of that season is just seeing it like that. This is an opportunity for you to undistractedly like seek out who you are and what you're called to do and just live on mission for the gospel and also just create great friendships like friendships that last forever i mean when you get married one day you're gonna want to have bridesmaids but how you gonna have bridesmaids you don't have any friends you know so take the time to really uh work on you focus on you but um, not just you but focus on the lord who god is learning more about him and also creating friends yeah, <clears throat> it's really good. Sweet. All right, Colleen Taylor. Advice on balancing marriage and ministry life. So we got a ton of questions on this, on just balance in general, how to balance ministry. And um, first thing I want to say is, I don't think that ministry is something that you balance. I think ministry is a call on your life, a 24-7, um, here I am, Lord, send me, going to making disciples, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Ministry is um, not something that we add into our day. It's not something that's just for a Sunday. It's not something that's just set apart when we go and, you know, we give to the poor. Ministry is always. Ministry is 24-7. Ministry is in my marriage. Ministry is me as a mom. Ministry is me as a friend. Ministry is me as a daughter. Ministry is me just being me because that is the dedication um, of my life. You know, I'm dedicated to the call of God in my life. And so ministry is always. So I don't think that it's like a thing that you necessarily have to balance. Um, I also want to say just with the word balance, like 
I love how Jen Johnson says it. She's like, what is balance? Like, how do you find balance with all the things that you do with, okay, if you're going to say ministry is your job, as in like working at a church or, you know, being at home with your family and um, doing all the things that you have in a day, like it's just a juggling act. It's just, you know, finding out what works for you. It's um, doing all things to the best of your ability. It's knowing that some days you're going to flop, knowing that some days it's going to be a little unbalanced and other days it's going to be perfectly balanced. And, you know, some days I might have to work late, but then other days I don't have to work at all, you know? And some days, you know, I have nothing on my plate and some days I have everything on my plate. And so I think it's just a posture uh, piece, you know, not so much of a balance of everything being perfectly in order, but just a posture of, you know what, I'm going to do all the things that God's called me to do to the best of my ability. I'm not going to add anything that's going to take away from the things that God's put in my life to be responsible for. And I think one thing that's important to note, and I told my friend this the other day because she's a mom and she's about to go back to teaching. And she's just experiencing that mom guilt of, you know, I'm going to be away from my daughter. I'm going to have to work. And how am I going to balance this? And I remember when I started working after having honey, it was really hard for me just because it is hard. You know, you're leaving your your daughter. But I just remember being like, okay, God has called me to preach and teach. And God has also called me to, you know, lead this ministry. But God has also called me to be a mom. And, you know, if God has called me to both of these things, then like, God is going to equip me for both of these things. One is not going to fail just because God's coming to both. He wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to make you a mom and I'm going to call you to lead this ministry and you're going to fail at one. No, mm-hmm. I believe that God gives me the capacity to be great at both. Um, that doesn't mean I'm perfect at both, but to be great at b- both and to be fully capable of doing both. And so, you know, my balance is knowing that when I'm at work, you know, I'm doing things to glorify God. I'm doing things um, to hopefully make the world a better place for honey. And then whenever I'm at home and I'm a mom to my sweet girl, you know, I'm also glorifying God. I'm also doing things to help her know how loved she is and grow her and steward her life well. And so I think that might be a little bit of what the balance looks like, that juggling act to just doing it well, just mm-hmm. in your heart, knowing if I'm called to it, God's going to equip me for it. If I'm called to it, God's going to give me the capacity and the strength to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, you said it um, a little while ago, but it's never going to be perfectly balanced. And I think about the scales where, you know, it's like the two things on each side and it's like, ministry, family life, like it's never going to be, it's always going to be doing this. So it's always a juggling act. Because even, even too, if you think about it, balance, you know, I think you can get so caught up with like, well, oh, I read for an hour today. So that means I got to fill, you know, I got to do something with my wife for an hour. So it's like even, even something Mm -hmm. trivial like that, you know, it's always going to be a juggle. Every day is different. Just like, um, you know, our relationship's different every day. Our relationship with God is, is different every day, whether that's we're reading more in a day or we're praying more in a day or we just worship today. You know, I think it is just a posture, like like what you said. It's just how do I juggle all these things and make it work? It's not how do I end each day, you know, hoping that I balanced everything perfectly because it's never going to balance perfectly. No, you didn't fail. You know, if, yeah. if, if one day didn't go great, you didn't fail. Tomorrow's a new day. You know, um, say today wasn't perfectly balanced. Okay, tomorrow, Lord, help me to, you know, help me think to more think more yeah. about, like, the things that you want me to desire today. Whatever it is, you know, like, be practical with it. Okay, Paige Hill asks, how can you make Christ a center focus in the gym? I saw you, boo. Mm, that's good. And a similar question, how do I glorify God at the gym while working out? Um, 
Yes. So I don't know if this was meant for me or for Sadie, but I'll let Sadie speak into it as well. Well, I haven't been to the gym um, since the moment I tested positive on a pregnancy test, so I'm going to let you go for this. That's true. <laughs> um, but no, it's really just like what we just talked about again. It's 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 posture, you know. Um, like for me, if I'm working out at the gym, I usually have to be listening to a uh, worship song or something like a sermon or something. Because for me, I know that can be easy if I'm, you know, doing weights or whatever, I'm looking at myself in the mirror. And it's like, how do I take my mind off of like, just wanting to look good in myself? It's how do I fill that with Jesus? So if I'm resting between a set, whether that's praying for something or someone needs help across the gym, how can I go help them? Or if they need a spot or whatever, um, I had this moment happen a few uh, few months ago. I was doing the rower at the gym. And I was listening to worship, and I saw this kid wearing Crocs, and I just felt the Lord say, "Go buy him a pair of workout shoes." So I went over and asked him what size shoe he wore. He said he was a size nine and a half. Went and bought him a, went and bought him shoes, and I went on the website, and then I felt God say, "Buy him uh, workout or buy him running shoes." So I bought him workout shoes and running shoes, and I say that to say. I really do feel like if I was listening to Drake or some secular song, I really don't think that I would have been thinking about his in needs. The in the mind, I, I don't think my mindset would have been thinking, how can I help this person or what does this person need? I think I would just be thinking about myself. I'm in the gym to look good. I'm going to just go get the best workout I can and not have eyes to see those around me. So I think I glorify God by not thinking about myself when I'm working out, you know, how can I train my body physically while simultaneously doing something that benefits me spiritually and having eyes to see those around me and those in need. And I think that is why you don't say ministry is a balance in in your day, something to just add for your day. That's why you see it as a 24-7, because if we were balancing our life perfectly, then Christian would say, you know, my ministry time is in the morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I might call a friend, whatever it is, see a mentor, whatever, do something for somebody. Um, And then, you know, I'm going to go to lunch, we're going to go to work, and then I'm going to go to the gym because that's like my gym time. Mm -hmm. And if you see that just as your gym time and not as a time where um, it's an opportunity for ministry, then Christian wouldn't have had the eyes to see the ministry before him. And ministry sounds like, you know, a job, but ministry is, you know, like I said, loving God and loving his people. And so Christian, you know, possibly himself in this position to love God and to love his people. He was able to see, hey, that guy's wearing Crocs, which is fine. But in a gym, like maybe he doesn't have shoes. And so he was able to get him the shoes that he needed. And it was like such a sweet moment. And that's why you don't just say like, okay, I have to balance everything perfectly. Because if we were balancing perfectly, that would have never happened in Christian's row time. You know, mm-hmm. that would have been his row time. Uh, and so I just love that like your eyes were open. Well, the next time I go back to the gym, I wouldn't have had a moment like that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, I had the moment yesterday. Why well, don't I have something similar like that today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, every day is different. Yeah, it's so you true. Know? That's good. This is from Lexi and, oh, wait, no, Lex Bianchi. Bianchi. <laughs> we have watching these names. It says, how to say no to an opportunity when everybody expects you to say yes. 
So this is a really hard one yeah, because... Yeah, I'll, I'll let you take this Yes. One. When there's a lot of expectation on you to say yes to something, um, it can be hard to stand up for yourself and say no, especially when everyone's like, why would you not make this decision? This is obvious. This is the best decision or whatever. Um, but there's some reason in your spirit that's saying, no, this is not a good decision. This is not actually what I want to do. I think in those moments, you just have to be super, super confident in um, what the Lord's saying to you and super confident confident in what your decision is and share that with the people who love you and who have that expectation on you. If it's your parents, um, sitting down with them and saying, Hey, um, I know this seems like an obvious yes, but because of X, Y, Z, because of what I feel led to do, because of what I love, because of um, what my future goals are, this actually doesn't align with that. And so I'm going to say no. And I just ask that you would trust me and trust God in me to know that I'm making a decision that is based off what I feel like is best for my life, you know, and they can speak into it and they can kind of help navigate that. But I think just being super confident in what you feel God's leading and articulating that to those around you, because when God's asking you to do something, the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something, you have to give grace to the people around you to know that He's not saying that to everybody else. You know, He's saying that to you. And so being able to articulate that to other people and share that, I think is a really fair way to do things. Um, I also think, you know, maybe it's not a God thing. Maybe God's not like necessarily leading you. Maybe it's like a personal preference and you're just like, I really just don't want to do that. I actually just want to do this. You know, you don't have to manipulate it and make it sound like a God thing. You can even just say, honestly, like that is just not even what I like to do. You know, that's not even like who I am, mm-hmm. you know, um, but to bring God into it, maybe say like, but I'm going to pray. I'll give this a fair prayer time and give it a week and pray about it. And if you're still like, you know, I do not feel right about this and going back and saying like, okay, honestly, like at first I just didn't want to do this. But after praying, after seeking the Lord, I still don't even feel a peace about doing this. So just bringing people into the conversation, not just being like, why do you not understand? Like give them an opportunity to understand by you explaining, you know? And at the end of the day, even if they don't understand, like you're going to have to say like, your yes is going to have to be yes, your no is going to have to be no. I mean, I think the older you get and the more you go, that's one of the best like life lessons you can learn is like letting your yes be your yes and your no be your no because saying no to things is going to be just as important as saying yes to things because your no's are going to lead you to being able to say yes to the right things in life and I think you know I used to just say yes to like everything just opportunity you know um, and then I was like going doing all these things that I really just didn't even want to do or have time to do and then I wasn't doing things that I actually wanted to do because I said yes to all these things I didn't even care about doing and I had to get you know a little bit more wise in the fact of like hey you know what I mean I have certain saying no to things so that I can say the right yes to things and so bring in your family, bring in your friends into that. You know, I think that if there's a moment where all your friends and family and all your people in your life are saying no, it's definitely worth stopping for a second and seeking the Lord and asking them why, you know, they're saying no to it. Um, But at the end of the day, you really do have to be confident in what God's calling you to do. You have to be confident in who you are and the uh, path that you feel he's taking you on. Um, I remember there was a time for me when, you know, I had told my dad, I was like 19 and no, I was 18 and told my dad, I really wanted to do something in Louisiana. I had this whole plan, this whole idea that I wanted to do. And then about three months later, I told him I want to move to Nashville. And my dad was like really upset because he was like, so you're just going to throw away all the stuff that you just told me you felt like I was doing your life here to move to Nashville. And I was like, I can't explain it, but like, I just feel 
really called to go. And I wasn't like being completely honest with him by saying like, I don't have peace about saying like, I truly feel like the Lord is saying like, go. Um, and my dad said, you know, if you can't be confident in this house sharing with me why you're doing what you're doing, you're never going to be confident when the world asks you. And so we had a great conversation and I ended up moving to Nashville and, you know, spending years there of really sowing some seeds for this ministry and seeing what God was going to do. I met Christian there. I met my best friends there. Like it was the most fruitful time. I'm so glad I moved to Nashville. But then guess what? God called us back here and now we live in Louisiana and I'm actually doing the things that I told my dad I was going to do at 18. So it was a no then at 18, but it's a yes now at 25. You know, so I think that's an example of, you know, only you really know what God's put in your heart to do. Um, and your parents are going to look out for what's best for you and your friends are too. So giving them an insight to what's going on inside instead of just, you know, hoping they would understand, I think is super important and the best and fair way to go about about navigating mm -hmm. questions like that. Yeah, and more than likely, you know, someone's always going to be disappointed. Yeah. Usually, whether yeah. you say yes or no. And I think, like Sadie said, just getting to a point where you're confident in your answer and you're not making decisions based on what other people want you to do, um, just getting over that hurdle, I think mm -hmm. it's going to be super helpful. Because at the end of the day, you're always going to be disappointing someone more than likely. And um, you just got to do what's best for you. Okay, so two more one after this one. What's the best way to understand scripture on a deeper level? Um, Sarah Beckwith asked this. Um, okay, so I would say the best way to understand scripture on a deeper level is literally to look up commentaries and to search um, just deeper into the context behind it from smart people who have studied it and know it and um, know it better than we do. Enduring Word is like my all-time favorite commentary. I read it all the time, pretty much any time before I preach a message, I'll go read all the scripture that I'm about to read or the whole chapter through Enduring Word. And so basically it's just like the Bible and then it's like lots of commentators who write um, to help you give more understanding verse by verse. And so I love that. That's a great way to understand scripture more meaningfully. But every book, every chapter, every verse. Yeah, it's, it's all we have it. So you can do that online. And then we also have the printed out books because I app. study that a lot and there's an app. So great way to learn. I think another way is, um, you know, if you love words, you can look up the original context of the word because sometimes in the Greek and Hebrew, it takes the word to a whole nother meaning. That's a fun way to understand scripture deeper. And then also just looking up sermons. Sometimes I'll be on something and I'll be like, okay, um, Luke 5, okay? And I'll be like, I love this, but like, I want more. And so I'll look up like Louis Giglio preaching on Luke 5, you know, or Matt Chandler preaching on Luke 5, Jackie Hill Perry, whatever it is, whoever you like to go to, um, look up them and maybe they've already taught on that. And that's a great way to understand it more. Mm -hmm. So I would just say like, look up people that you know preach on this, look up commentary and study it in the original text. And those are great ways to dive in a little bit deeper. All right, Christian, you want to answer this one? Yes, cats. Carcella. <laughs> These are people's Instagram handles, so sorry if your name is not really this, but we love it. Yeah, something like that. Well, okay, you ask if you're listening to this or watching this. You ask best best first date advice, and something that I would say is find out what your whoever the person that you're going on a date with is interested in. So for Sadie, I knew that Sadie liked watermelon gum and um, the watermelon Sour Patch Kids. Big watermelon person. You don't really like watermelon, which is interesting. I know. Um, you know, I do love watermelon, but I don't even eat that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, it's weird. When's the last time I had that? Never. I don't know. 
Okay. Probably so, when we were dating. Okay. Yeah, probably. probably That's on me, actually. Uh, so I knew that you liked that. So on our first date, before she got in the car, I had watermelon gum and the watermelon uh, Sour Patch Kids just sitting on the on her uh, chair. So I stopped at a gas station before I got to her house um, and just had it on the chair. So when she opened the door, she saw it. So it's just something sweet like that. Like find out what they like, what they're interested in, and um, – you know, whether it's taking them to the re- to a restaurant that they like, that kind of food. Just little details like that. Yeah, I would also say take initiative if you're a guy and actually plan the date because Christian was coming up uh, to where I lived. I lived in Nashville. He lived in Auburn, and he was going to take me on a date in Nashville. But he still planned the whole thing, even though that's where I lived. And um, he that's actually good. took me to a restaurant that I'd actually never been to. And it's so sweet because it was called Tupelo Honey. That was our first date, and now we have a daughter named Honey. Full circle, crazy. But it was just really sweet because – you know, you could have been like, well, I'm not from there. Like you take me, but he was, you know, pursuing me and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'll plan the date. So he did that. We went to Top Golf. We went shopping on 12 South and it was like really, really fun. So, um, yeah, just take initiative. If you're the guy you don't make the girl plan it, plan the thing. It'll be fun. Even if it's just like simple, it doesn't matter. I think even the fact that you planned it or made a reservation or did it, even if it's so simple, goes such a long way and says so much about the way that you're going to lead in a relationship. Um, it's not bad for the girl to plan it, but I do think that that means a lot whenever a guy, you know, takes initiative on a first date. Yeah, yeah, for sure. and pursues you. Well, these were great questions. Like I said, we have so many more. We didn't even get to really even, I don't even think half of these questions, um, but we also are open to taking more. So DM, well, that's good podcast, Instagram. And if you have any questions you want Christian and I or my mom and I to discuss, we would love to talk about them. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I hope that you learned a lot and I hope you have a great rest of your week and the happiest Wednesday. Love you guys. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye.